Well, hello, Paul. Hello, Brian. Um, how's it going? Very well. You were just talking about getting yourself ready for the intro, and <laughs> the I've intro. got a laptop full of me cursing in my microphone because <laughs> I botched something. So you can't do that in live, right? Yeah, but this isn't going straight to live, but pretty <laughs> close. Um, so this is the second episode of a new podcast called Python People. So thank you for uh, agreeing to be like the second guest. It's a joy to be asked. It really is a joy to be asked. I appreciate it. Well, I think it. I think I went in the. I think the proper order. So, yeah. So this this morning I talked with uh, Michael Kennedy, um, and I think it was appropriate to have him come on as the first guest because he we do Python bites together and he does mm-hmm. talk Python and um, or talk Python to me. Sorry, the f- full name uh but he also does um talk python training and he's been very influential to me and to lots of people but uh um on my path and getting involved with the python community i kind of did it with him as a like a an exit buddy or an entrance buddy or something um because i my first pycon was uh when he and i did um a pike and we went together and we had a booth so I don't know if that's normal for the first step, first time you go to a PyCon is to have a booth, but whatever. So you're at PyCons a lot and you are, so you're um, uh, Paul Everett and you were influential to me because early on I, I, I went back to look, I think we inter- got introduced to each other like in 2016 or 2017. It's been a while. So I, at least in Python, in internet time, that's forever. And you are a very memorable introduction for me. Uh, I took a pre-release, maybe Kindle version or something of the book on vacation to the beach. Oh, right. Yeah. And read your book, like couldn't put it down, which says something about my life choices. You know, is it there anything better to do at the beach than pie test? But apparently not. It was <laughs> riveting. It really was. <laughs> Oh, you're so kind. And I think that you were claiming, um, and I have no way to dispute you, that you were the first person to buy um, the first edition of uh, the PyTest book. So, My stories usually have some percentage basis in truth, and it sounds good. So let's stick to it. <laughs> yeah, but you were, you were supporting, you were supporting me even, I think, before. Uh, but anyway. Uh, thank you for uh, encouraging me uh, in my journey in Python. Um, but you, so right, I know you as, um, so my my introduction to you was in uh, in that, that you picked up the book, but I also wanted help in understanding how I could use PyCharm uh, effectively. Uh, because mm-hmm. when I've, uh, in previous times I've tried to pick it up, I've tripped a few times. So it was a couple things you pointed me in the right direction to use VI to because there's a Vim mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and then also, uh, we worked to, I think we worked together a little bit to try to iron out some of the kinks with using Indeed. PyTest and PyCharm together. And that was a lot of fun. Um, so I guess thanks for letting me come along for that ride. Um, and thanks for doing that. In fact, another kink got ironed out a couple of uh, betas ago with uh, really accurate fixture support, <clears throat> something you and I had talked about. Yeah. Um, and 
it's funny how uh, you're in a job where you're supposed to be like, hey, Paul, you're supposed to be the face of pie charm. And I wake up every day and like, damn, I only know like 1% of this product and it's going to change 2% during the day. <laughs> you, you're always feeling like you're behind the curve. And the same was true for our testing support. I kept trying to explain to people, man, it's badass. Go use it. And then I listened to you explain it once in, uh, in one of your episodes. And you said, it's the UI for pie test that you always wanted. And I thought that's what I should have been saying the whole time. <laughs> Um, it's, it's a nice interface, but the, so you, uh, you said you're the face of pie charm, but you do more you. So you're, sure. you're a dev developer advocate for at JetBrains, right? Yeah. And I shouldn't be associated with a product as an advocate. We are in the business of making developers better. Okay. However, that may be. And, uh, I cover web stuff and Python stuff like you, you're, fairly recently since the last time you and I saw each other, you're getting back into Django and Django testing. Yeah. And I'm getting back into the world of Django as well. And it's, it's joyful when you focus on technologies rather than products, because you get to focus on communities and places like PyTest and places like Django are just really joyful, aren't they? It, they really are. And, and partly you're right because of the people around it uh, there there are i mean i i also really like a lot of other frameworks i like flask i like uh fast api and fast api has got some and there's some some great people around those projects mm -hmm. um but it doesn't really have the community the huge community that django has but it sure. also i mean there's reasons behind that they're more sure. lightweight things but yeah. um and you um so other than, so I see you mostly once a year at PyCon <laughs> and then we talk, you know, a couple of times a year, hopefully, uh, for various other things. Um, but we keep in touch, but, uh, other, so most people probably do, you know, you from, or at least current new people from your involvement with PyCharm and JetBrains, mm -hmm. but you go kind of farther back with Python, right? Um, you've been, Indeed. You, um, what was ahead, that sorry. web framework that you were using? <laughs> Zope, Z -O -P. Zope, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You haven't used that. Yeah, for a in while, fact, right? I I got to tell that story to someone today. I was talking with someone about what we plan to do uh, with Django in the next year, and I was explaining that Django, when it was created, was the thing that killed my thing. So if you think Django's old, <laughs> it was really new when it killed my my project. So. Um, and then hopefully I don't think Django needs any introduction, yeah. but you, so did you go, um, was there stuff between your involved involvement with Zope and involve your involvement with, um, with JetBrains and PyCharm? Did you, did you go away from Python for a while or have you been no, with Python? Um, no, I'm, uh, lived in Europe for four years, uh, which kind of took me out of the going to PyCon crowd. Um, but I got involved with Chris McDonough uh, and Trace Seaver in Pyramid. Okay. Which was uh, kind of thought of as a successor to Zope, the framework. I got involved with Plone, which was a content management system built on top of Zope, which is still going, um, has a foundation just like Django has a foundation. I find that movement fascinating whenever an open source community is 
mature enough, thoughtful enough, strong enough to build a foundation, assign all the intellectual property to it and outlive its founders. That's pretty cool. Uh, so to answer your question, yes, Pyramid and Plone were things I did after uh, Zope. Okay. And you, um, anyway, so you've been, you've been around for a while, man. I've been around for a while. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you seem, you're still a positive influence and you're pretty excited about what's going on with even new developments. And that's pretty, um, and I, I guess I do see that more in Python than I see it in other places. I mean, C, C, C++ has changed a lot in the last mm. few years and, some people are along for the ride and some people are kind of curmudgeonly about it. Um, well said, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I guess thanks. Uh, but you brought up the outlive uh, foundation, open source projects that outlive their founders. And mm -hmm. I don't think that we've really outlived Guido. He's still involved. Um, but, um, but that's kind of, we did, we did go through one of those transitions with Python mm -hmm. as a whole of going from, the BDFL to a uh, steering council sort of model. Um, what do you what do you think about that transition? It is uh, it's fantastic. Multiple things I think about it. You'll have people on board like Brett, who I adore and admire, and and respect. He'll have better things to say than me about it, but. I remember going to see Guido when he was at Google. Um, this is after I came back from Europe. And he was already kind of in the mode of turning over a lot of decision making to people. And it already felt at that time, gosh, I don't know, maybe that was 2010 or something like that. It already felt like he was starting to get out of the business. Now, the thing that prompted him to really make the move, not joyful. Yeah. The walrus episode, right? Yeah. Um, but though, even though he was in a spot, the way he conducted it was really interesting. It's, it almost has this feeling of like Dr. Manhattan going to Mars or something like that. He chose to say, I'm out. You're going to replace me and I'm not going to tell you what with. <laughs> and yeah. there were, th I think, three different models for what was going to be like just a different BDFL or a this or a that. And uh, he wound up coming back for a while and then getting back out for a while. And he's doing what he wants on his own terms. And he's doing the things that he finds joyful. Not a fantastic outcome. It really is. And I, I, so I jumped in like the first, I don't even remember what the first icon I was, uh, I came it, it, it wasn't that long ago. So I've only been to a few. Um, but the, uh, I think it was the second one that was in Portland, but, mm -hmm. but there was, and I can't remember where we were on that transition. I don't think we were, I don't know if the, there's, so this is the fifth year of this steering council. So, uh, I lost, tra lost track of time. Five years, man. Huh. Um, I think it's the fifth year because I think uh, I heard uh, Brett talking about that. Hmm. Um, so uh, there was, I mean, of course, he's a, it's an interesting thing meeting Guido for the first time, if you haven't, because um, he's not, 
he's he's not a like an extrovert. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's not like walking up and meeting Steve Jobs or something like that. I've never met Steve Jobs, but uh, <laughs> uh you know, he's not a, like an outgoing. He's kind of quiet. Um mm-hmm. and it's hard to read that a little bit. Is it is it quiet because he doesn't want to talk to anybody or is he just not going to like shout hey to you or something? Um so I was, uh, I of course wanted to meet him. So I think I went up and said, Hey, just say thanks and everything. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and then, uh, most recently when I saw him in person was at, um, was at Pi Cascades and, oh, and I was just, what well, was kind of, it was so cool. I was just kind of standing around in one of the, um, there was a talk going on and I need, just needed time to just hang out for a little while and i was standing there and he walked up to me and said and uh, started asking me about testing and stuff and um and uh, and he just seemed relaxed so oh yeah that's a great way to put it he's just seems like he's having fun with it more mm-hmm. and he like you said he gets just to, to do what he wants mm-hmm. how about you do you get to do what you want with python uh unfortunately yes um <laughs> But to, if I could follow up on the last point and then come back to that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, the When I first started thinking about this open source projects, they're able to outlive their founders. A lot of times you think of it in terms of this semi-crazy open source leader. And we've all seen projects with people who really got kind of a messiah complex going on. But that's not what I mean. I mean the ones that get successful and... One of the common ingredients, when I first started thinking about this, it was in the content management system space in the 2000s, 2005, up into 2010. And that was a time when during the course of this conversation, someone would launch a new CMS. There were like, CMSs were like web frameworks are now where people just wrote them over and over as vanity projects. And some of them would break through for each language, whether it was Ruby or, or PHP or whatever. And the ones that got successful would get venture capital funding. Oh, right. Okay. And for me, (laughs) um, that's a little bit symptomatic of American culture, particularly West Coast Silicon Valley culture. Yeah. And this feeling that you as a founder aren't successful unless you go hockey stick. Yeah. And when your project goes hockey stick, you want to milk the cow because you think it's your cow. But an open source project is our cow because we're all feeding the cow. And if you decide you're going to get all the milk out of the cow, no one else feeds the cow, no more milk. And when you look at some of these that have gone um, kind of from a BDFL founder model to having a organization or instrument that survives it that supersedes it i should say survives it sounds a little funeralish <laughs> um then uh some of those have some characteristics where it doesn't it, it never had the culture of silicon valley vc ipo let's go mega scale yeah yeah also i mean there's a lot of open source projects that if they're going to do that with the venture um and we're seeing some now uh yeah. that where there's some and it isn't there's some some backing around 
open source projects and i it will i guess we'll have to wa- watch and wait and see what how those do sure. um but like for instance uh um uh django didn't start in silicon i think it was in kansas or something like yeah, that. yeah right yeah. Um, yeah yeah and i i wonder if that's one of the differences and python didn't start mm-hmm. in silicon Valley, yeah. but um i don't know if there was a silicon value in Python. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but uh that is interesting to see some of the different aspects of the things that uh, move on. So some of the, like, uh, I, I'm paying a lot of attention to Django lately. Django is, has done that transition as well, but they had like two people at the beginning with, didn't they? Yeah. Um, <laughs> an interesting life cycle of its history. Uh, it would be great for you in this podcast series. If you're kind of doing the historian role, <laughs> Uh, to bring on Jessica McKellar and talk about um, the launch of diversity in the world of Python and PyCon and yeah. others involved in PyLadies at the beginning. I personally would love to hear the authoritative version of that, but also the origin story of Django and how, you know, what was it at the beginning of Django that would lead you to believe that in 2023, me, the Zope freaking guy, <laughs> would be extolling the virtues of how they did it. I'd love to hear that story. Ah, that's a good idea. I'll try to try to dig up the right people. Um, yeah. So, uh, by the way, Zope did have venture capital, and I did give speeches, uh, open source business model speeches at venture capital conferences. And that's another episode. <laughs> um, I. I I hadn't thought about like some of the history stuff, but I do think that's one of the things I want to try to capture is a mm. lot of these stories, these uh, history stories, um, because they, well, they just to be dark and blunt, people still remember them right now. Um, and they might not in a 10, five, 10 years, sure, but who knows? Sure, sure. Um, yeah. So just McKellar would be a good one. Anybody. I, and I, I, I have a couple of contacts in the Django world, so I can, Mm-hmm. reach out there oh but definitely the origin of pie ladies what a what an incredible oh, yeah. success yeah i don't know why i'm writing notes i'm recording this uh <laughs> <laughs> um i'm it's a habit plus i have this really cool new pen that i got for that Father's is Day. that is uh the but i gotta ask you a django question because i'm <laughs> i'm still in like the newbie process i've, I've gone through a few tutorials i've got a thing that i want to build so i'm I'm like looking into Django, um, but there's one. It's a, it's like a it's not really PyTest versus unit test sort of a controversy, but it's a class based versus function based views. Oh, spicy! <laughs> Where you fall you just, there? You just had Will and Carlton on. Yeah, but I didn't know enough to ask them about that. Yet. <laughs> uh. Okay, I will do a HTTP three hundred two redirect. <laughs> to give props to Trey Hunter, who on Mastodon right now is doing a hashtag Django June. Okay. And he just talked about this three or four posts ago. All of his posts are worth reading. Yeah. Okay. Trey's a great guy. Um, I gotta I'll have to talk with him as well. So yeah. yeah. Moral of the story as the great philosopher nancy pelosi said embrace the suck and go with class-based views 
Really? Hmm. Nancy Pelosi said that? Yeah. <laughs> she had to have been quoting somebody, so I should go further back and I did see not it. know she was a Django developer. That's amazing. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, I think you're making that up, actually. I am not. Really? Nancy Pelosi develops Django? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Cool. Uh, maybe I can get her. Up. So uh, I wanted to also find out a little bit more about you. Um, what do you do when you're away from promoting Python and JetBrains and everything? I have a life passion. Uh, coaching girls lacrosse. Really? So lacrosse is a uh, is my stick of visible? Huh? Up here. It's the old wooden stick. Okay. Lacrosse is a sport a stick, a net, a ball. You run around, ball's hard, you chuck it, it flies up and down the field. And um my daughter started playing and she's now a referee and a coach. I actually work for her. I'm her assistant. She's if I can be a proud dad for a moment. She's the youngest D1 ref in history. Oh, really? Yeah. But it is our platform for fixing the world. <laughs> um, there are things going on in the world that, you, you know, like politics and society and culture. And you, as, as much, Brian, as we feel like rage tweeting fixes everything it's just a little unfulfilling to go to go tweet about your about the problems of the world and so we have enjoyed um using youth sports as a way to accomplish things that might make a change it's super fun our team looks like america let's put it that way oh that's and awesome in a sport that really is kind of a country club from income and diversity perspective, uh, teaching young women to be leaders. Uh, we're not in the lacrosse business. We're in the leadership business. I always tell them one of you is going to be president and fix all the mistakes that we made. Uh, so it's our job to get you ready for the role. Um, and it's also just a fun way for an old middle-aged white hobbit looking dude to be ridiculous. Well, what do you mean? What's ridiculous about it? Do you get out there and be, uh, practice? To be also? silly. To, to be someone in their lives who's 900 years older that they can joke with. And I trash talk with them. They trash talk back with me. And um, it's super fun. That's awesome. That's great. I Actually, so I've got two, two daughters. And I think uh, decent humans, adults that have kids, I think I... I take it as part of my responsibility to be at least one more um positive adult figure in well their said. lives yeah so well said. and some don't have very many uh so uh so it's good to have one more um and yeah. i my wife's uh my wife's the same and it's good to be able to uh have it not be weird so if if like <laughs> uh if the, somebody's asking a question and I want to have, I want to take a shot at answering it to have my wife there to be able to say that, no, that's bullshit or mm -hmm. yeah, 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 that, that's valid. Uh, it's good. So how long have you been doing that? Gosh, uh, 
since like 2007 or something like that. Wow. Okay. And um, it's uh, it's something that overlaps in several ways with what we do in open source communities and stuff. And what you and I do, you're a good advocate for people. Um, my daughter sent me something this weekend. The head of Nike said, we have this kind of crisis. For, first of all, sports in general are great for young people. Um, when done in a less competitive kind of way, it teaches a lot of things about um, working together, working with difficult people, working in difficult circumstances. If done the right way, it gives a chance for people to be leaders at a younger age. And certainly for women, uh, I've, I've heard people in positions of high authority say when we're hiring, like for CEOs or something, or if we're in the military and we're looking to promote people to a high rank, when I see a woman who's played a sport, that's like a double plus. It, yeah. It's something that is a tangible benefit. Okay. And the problem is uh, the head of Nike sent something out. My daughter sent it to me. There's a crisis of young women dropping out of sports when they hit puberty. And he, they did a study. And the number one reason is 75% of youth coaches are men. I, that sounds like a, I'm, it's very believable. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, in an overlap with my day job, uh, I view it as my job to help the next generation get in place. Jeff Triplett did a bunch of good talking about this for the PSF board elections. We don't need heroes. We need the next generation of heroes. Yeah. And the old heroes need to help the new heroes. Um, that's not me for Python anymore, but in sports, what it means is I should always be subordinate to a woman, particularly a young woman. And if the players can see old hobbit looking dude taking orders from a young woman, you know, I can't be it until I see it. That's actually pretty cool. That's nice. Um, like that. Is it, it, it did you so did you play lacrosse when you were younger? No. Oh, okay. I grew up in the wrong part of Florida. We didn't have no lacrosse. Well, so how do you know what to tell people to do if uh you don't know? I mean, did you, does your daughter kind of help you out with that? or did Yeah, you... I get the beginners. <laughs> okay. I know my place in the back. <laughs> well, I'm, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever watched a lacrosse game. Mm -hmm. And I was so I like Googled lacrosse. Uh, look at some pictures. Well, mm -hmm. duck, duck, go. But, you know. There you go. Good. I, and uh, there's like helmets and stuff. Do, yeah, the the women's game is the old joke about America and England are two countries divided by a common language. Yeah, um, they both share the word lacrosse, but they're they're quite different. Oh, they're, um, okay. They don't. They're not hitting each other in the heads with uh, on women. They're side. not swinging the sticks intentionally at the head. Do but guys do that? Did intentionally swing at each other? Is it? Yeah, there's a lot of content. Oh, it's like hockey, but with kind of a yeah. hockey soccer thing. But yeah. another thing that I learned when I first got started was whenever you get into volunteer groups, so much comes over from open source. What do you mean? You, if you want to affect change, there's that African proverb. If, please, oh gosh, please get this right. 
if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Oh, I've never, I don't know if and I've ever so, heard that. So. Uh, whether it's an open source or use volunteer work of any kind, um, if you want enduring change, you got to get a whole bunch of people pulling on the rope. Oh, yeah. And that is a skill set that we in open source have gotten pretty good at. And it doesn't come over from the corporate world very well or the military. <laughs> well, I actually, I'm surprised that people learn it in sports because I didn't. Uh, they, sure. I mean, you can, if, like you said, if sports are taught right, I believe you that you could learn teamwork and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, working together and stuff. There's a, there's also very competitive, um, ness, like not even just with other, like competing with your team, but competing against your mm -hmm. teammates, mm -hmm. uh, that goes on. Um, I've seen parents who pay their kids 20 bucks per left-handed goal. Yeah. Why? Because their little precious is the one and only important thing. Uh. But why left-handed right. goal? Uh, is left-handed goal a difficult thing or something? Or When you're young, you haven't learned to use both hands very well. Oh, okay. But you're right. Youth sports has gotten worse. It's become a vehicle for the adults to scratch their egos. Um, yeah. And it's gotten expensive. Well, it's gotten elitist. Well, I don't know if it ever was not. I mean, I, I remember. So I. I, the sports I played when I was young, I played, um, you know, a little soccer, like that yeah. was, it was, you know, too young to remember barely. I just remember getting rained on. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, in middle school, I thought football looks fun. I'll try that. And first day, uh, the coach says, first day of practice coach says, okay, want the, like the, the, uh, backfield to go over here and the, the line line people go over to this side and i i just i'd never played before so i was like i don't know what you're talking about i mean i mean i know what those are but how do i know what i should be mm -hmm. and so that and that was because which i didn't know at the time that there were all most of the other kids had played like uh little little, little league sure. football or something like that yeah. um and i i think that and I get that, like at the point where the the, the varsity uh, varsity football and all the varsity teams, they're trying to win and they're trying to like go on to college and stuff like. That. But I think, I think at least beginning freshman year and younger than freshman year, I don't think that we should be weeding people out too fast. Totally agree. Um, it depends on which scoreboard you're aiming for. Yeah, I'd like to see it be more about having people get uh try something out that they may not have ever tried before and see if they like mm -hmm. it and uh mm -hmm. have fun with it and and do the whole team thing um so everything you just said i really really agree with and it's also how you conduct yourself in your public role in software <laughs> you are someone who encourages people brings people together shines the spotlight that you get on you you share it and then spot shine that spotlight on other people. Cool. Thank you. I will. You do get your payment for uh, yes. uh, agreed a payment for 
promotional yeah. considerations. Sure. Um, I, I want one more sport thing that I now I'm remembering my youth. Um, I did play, uh, or I was on the uh, uh, track and field team. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, for one year, uh, just tried it out, and I think I did the uh, the the discus. Yeah, that's it. Um, where you try to spin around and throw this heavy disc and try not to hit people. Um, I was terrible at it, but oddly enough, uh, be- those seem like individual sports, and they are. But I, I felt more teamwork and and team camaraderie in the in that experience because, uh, doing poorly didn't drag anybody else down. Um, well yeah. um, they they were like trying to get encourage me and teach me to to do better, of course, and the the mm-hmm. other kids. But the 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 best person at uh, discus didn't get worse because I was there. Um, well so. said. It was interesting. Anyway, there's a theory that if you take two boys and have them do a sprint against each other, they'll do, they'll run faster than if they ran by themselves, but two girls will run slower than if they run by themselves. Cause they don't want to show the other one up. Yeah. I, probably an overgeneralization, but interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dude, you also got into skateboard culture, right? Yeah. And I suspect that became a home for you for several reasons. One, it was a, a uh, tribe, a culture, and also it was your choice, right? It it was. It was my choice. Um, but I was just thinking about some of the analogy between skateboarding now and uh and open source and py- Python was that one of the th- we had that in common. So the people that I hung out with we had the skateboarding in common. We might not be able to talk about anything else. We might be different music types, different um, in different ages. Even I remember being a freshman in high school, hanging out with like late year college students, um, and and then all the way down to like younger kids. Um, and what was the thing in common? We were all watching the half pipe to to wait our turn so that we could ride, and then we were talking about stuff, and you know. Uh, encouraging each other there wasn't i mean there weren't competition there were probably competitions but not in my circles but uh teaching each other tricks and teaching stuff mm-hmm. and um that equalizer of uh young or old doing it new you all the old guys are fine in teaching the new people because we have to have a new generation coming along yeah. and i do see that in the uh, open source world a lot um my son got into a sport that sounds a lot like that kind of culture, uh, parkour, and it like specifically eschews uh, competition and a really good fit for him. He thrived in something like that. And I actually found myself learning from him uh, about the virtues of that kind of approach. Um, yeah. When I got back into coaching. I started to focus on the kids who needed lacrosse more than lacrosse needed them. <laughs> I think that maybe we could feed that back to other things as well. There's a, there's, yeah, sure. there's some like uh, kid activities that I wish were less competitive. Like uh, early on, yeah. I don't know if you have any of your kids have ever taken dance, um, but dance classes are most, a lot of them that I've been involved with are like the trying to teach you, you get a little bit of instruction and lesson. And then it's uh, 
And then it's like a couple months of learning the same thing over and over again to do a performance so that they could compete somewhere. And all the joy of concert piano plus <laughs> broken feet. <laughs> well, also like, I'm pretty sure that like 99% of the kids that get into dance at like age eight aren't doing it to become professional dancers. Indeed. They're just saying. Uh, Indeed. Um, and I, it, it's, there's gotta be joy. Yeah. I mean, joy and purpose go well together and I, in appropriate ratios. <laughs> and I get the thing of like, you want to like do something so that the parents can watch it and go, Oh, look what little uh, Jimmy learned or something. But, um, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, like I'm hoping that some of your listeners, uh, are thinking, Hey, that matches when I got into such and such that they found their tribe and they, their heads are nodding and they're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. A warm, welcoming place where I could be the best me. I would love that. And, and speaking of, um, audience and people listening and people coming on as guests so this uh python people is a little bit of an experiment so my original idea was instead of diving too far into the technical stuff let's like meet the people and get to know the individuals that are involved with python a little bit more well well said Um, but but where it goes from there like you brought up bringing up some of the history stuff i think that's a great idea um and i'd like to have other people go you know what if we're talking about just the people around python and the culture let's talk about other things and the uh uh tying in other things that they have in life um like i i'm not a musician even though i apparently collect guitars um uh but uh i know some people are and i'd love to hear like uh that um their how how music relates to software and stuff that'd be so um I think I've asked a ton of questions, but I really thanks Paul for supporting the show and for, um, for being the second guest. And anyway, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking about the thing we all have in common, which is Python. Like Brett says, uh, come for the language, stay for the community. And we should all just take time every now and then to appreciate the thing we have. <laughs> yes, but there's, and also keep making it better. Let's uh, uh, like you were talking about with diversity. We, there's we're not perfect yet, and we yeah. have room to grow. So thanks a lot, and um, catch up later. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to Python People. Show notes are at pythonpeople.fm. Please subscribe to the show. You can also follow the show on Mastodon. Follow at Python People or at Brian Ocken, both on fostodon.org. This episode is brought to you by the Complete PyTest course. PyTest is powerful and easy to get started. You owe it to yourself and your team to write clean, easy-to-read tests to save you time now and during maintenance. The Complete PyTest course will get you started with good habits and teach you some cool tricks when you need them later on. Even if you already use PyTest, why not level up? With a 30-day refund policy, you've got nothing to lose. Check it out at courses.pythontest.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You rock. Links to the course and Patreon signup are in the show notes. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone you'd like me to interview, reach out to me on Mastodon. I'm at Brian Aachen at Fostodon.org. That's all for now. Thanks.